Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. And I'm delighted to have on today's show, Charlie Whitfield, CEO of Witty Apps, and her executive coach, Rick, Rick Crane, with Breakthrough Business Solutions. Um, it's great to have you on the show. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, technology, mobile applications, what's happening in that world, and then also a little bit about how to use and leverage ex- executive coaching. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Um, so, Charlie, I-, I ask my guests, what are the trends in your industry or area of expertise that you think other middle market CEOs should know and be aware of? So what are you thinking about that uh, that question this morning? You know, I thought about that um, just now. And the first thing that comes to my mind is IoT, the Internet of Things. Internet of Things is and we might as well look at artificial intelligence and robotics. Uh, people aren't on that right now, thinking about it maybe more so in a movie. But when you really think about it, the Internet of Things is just bringing everything together from people's home televisions to their pads, which is a lot of it is happening now. Smart devices operating your alarm systems. So the Internet of Things is really what's trending now, along with AI, artificial intelligence. Mm. What are some of the actual applications that you're seeing uh, in the Internet of Things and with artificial intelligence that might be in the marketplace that we may, may not be aware of yet? Look around at the Apple Watch or the Google Watch. These things are, even though they're watches, they are actually controlling a lot of the devices, uh, especially their own smartphones. The Apple Watch and what it does with your smart device and how it coordinates and how it breaks and puts things together. It's just one of the devices. Mm. And when you look at television at home, people are actually operating their televisions and they're actually talking to, I don't know if you've seen it yet, their remote controls, telling them what to do and how to do it. So those are two of the small things that people may not notice. There's a robot out that when you walk in, he'll say, welcome home. Robot will tell you your messages, what's going on with you, things that are happening, your schedule, if you program it to tell your schedule. And that's just a robot that's sitting around on the desk when you walk in. So those are the type things that are going on now. And I don't know that everyone is aware of them. Mm. And so where does a witty apps fall in, in this whole world of, of the Internet of Things and technology and applications? I appreciate that question. That's a very good question. You know, we started off with just simple mobile applications to help small businesses become more innovative and efficient in what they're doing. Now we are expanding to platforms, software as a service, platforms as a service, even email as a service, and moving more into the cyber world and moving into even help desk and everything that has to do with those type of platforms. Mm. And uh, one of the things that we discussed a few weeks ago on the show with somebody, uh, another guest who is in technology is a little bit of a backlash from uh, technology, technology executives and um, uh, CEOs around the kind of as a service uh, movement, um, trying to get everybody to subscribe to everything, um, which is great for the providers, right? Because it means basically you have the stable, on- ongoing, recurring revenue stream. But 
there can be a little bit of a tension, I think, on the executive side, really questioning the, the whether or not there's any kind of marginal value being provided. So are you seeing that? And, and what's your reaction to that phenomenon if you're observing that in your in your business operations? One of the cool things about the as a service or the platforms is that everything I'll, I'll back up a moment and say I'll make it try to try to make it kind of simple. Administrative back back offices. The actual person in the office can see what's going on and send a message to a mobile device. That's huge. That's really awesome. Not just an SMS, but an actual push notification. Big data comes from that. So there's several aspects of having a software as a service. If you build it yourself and you don't have to worry about someone charging you monthly for it, mm-hmm. then having it on a in the cloud. I mean, you save so much money, you save so much space out having the data service down the hall from you and these type of things. So this really, really advantageous if you build it yourself Mm. and not just subscribe to someone who's going to be doing it. Great. Oh, and by the way, we do that. That's why I was saying build it yourself. <laughs> I figured that. I think uh, <laughs> I think people who were listening would 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 have picked that up uh, as well. So as we as I as I think about um, some of these technology phenomena, and uh, our listeners who are typically going to be CEOs of middle market companies, what do you think? In this whole uh, proliferation of innovation, disruption, all the things that are happening, cybersecurity, what do you feel are the most important issues that should rise to the executive level and should really be commanding C-suite or even CEO attention uh, with regard to technology in today's market? That's a very good question, Tony. The thing that comes to my mind is security. If you don't have that security, shut it down. That's just plain and simple. Um, you know, the hacking going on and different things and people losing their proprietary information, HIPAA, HIMSS, and all of these. Security. Even though you may have a security officer on staff, making sure that things are secure. And that is a big, big... It's so big that the military is looking for people who can train. The military is looking for people who can keep their staffs up to date on what's going on with security. And it's changing so rapidly. I told a a few young people um, about a week ago, if you really want to get into the world of technology, learn to hack. Because a hacker can keep a hacker from getting in. Mm. So when you think about it, security is the number one. And that's what we have to be um, mindful of. Because if it's not secure, if something were to happen to our uh, platforms or our cloud or any of those, it would really put us out of business. Mm -hmm. For a middle market company that may not Mm -hmm. have a devoted security officer and may just be really thinking about just keeping the lights on and where that next next big customer is going to come from, what are some recommendations, really tactical recommendations that you would give around making sure that their, uh, their, you know, their infrastructure, their IT infrastructure is secure? Oh, that's very good. There's so many third parties out here that can help do that. Um, I'm not trying to sell anyone on anything. (laughs) AWS is one of the best. Amazon Web Services Mm -hmm. is really one of the best. And these are things that you can put into your budget and that can help you to manage very well. Make it a budget item. Put it on on your list of things. 
on your budget. Make it a cash flow item because without that, then um, it'll be very hard to build that foundation and move. Mm. And as as uh, a CEO may be inv- uh, evaluating a third-party IT security company, what are the things that they should be looking at? That's a very good question. The, I, I believe the things that they should, one of the things they should be looking at is stability. There's nothing like a good customer satisfaction. What do the other people think? Do your research. Find out where their firewalls have gone down, what has gone on, who's hacked them. Do a little bit of research. It's basically what I think would help to determine what's the best for you, the best cost, because cost is basically based on how much information you have flowing through that system will determine exactly on what you're going to be paying. Mm -hmm. So research is huge. And last question before uh, I bring Rick in here. Most of the time from my conversations, IT is seen as a cost center. um, And in many cases, uh, you know, kind of bleeds companies and it doesn't really, uh, it kind of gets a bad name, you know. And I was wondering if you have any thoughts on how, if it's possible to turn uh, what, you know, is perceived as, as overhead or an ongoing cost into something that could be revenue generating or um, a net benefit economically to to the business. Everybody wants a return on their investment. Don't they? I'm telling you, that is that is huge. That is wonderful. And, you know, there's so many things out here that you don't have to really pay a lot for. Again, not to try to sell anybody, but, you know, Google has a wealth of things that people can use that they don't have to pay an arm and a leg for. $25 a month will help you with your email. I mean, there are things like that that can really put somebody who is strapped for cash or cash flow is not as good as they want it to be. But there's so many things out here now that are free. Mm. And it just takes a little bit of research. Again, I'm not trying to sell anybody on any particular thing, but these are some of the things that we started with. We really looked to see what we could afford and did our research. Great. Now, Rick, uh, you know, completely different industry. As you look at at your clients, what are you seeing uh, as they confront technology or other markets that are changing very quickly and, and maybe experiencing some disruption? One of the questions, thank you, that you asked about IT being an expense, actually, when you start getting to the middle markets and the fast growth companies, IT is pretty much setting the budget for the company. So IT is a a very uh, important seat at the table in companies right now. And it would be a really good you know, idea for small companies to start looking at that because there's a lot you can learn from from larger companies who have already been there. So what I'm seeing is is a lot of fast growth in the IT industry. Uh, I've niched into that industry and uh, pretty much they 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 outgrow the leadership capabilities of the industry uh, of their company. And uh, they just face a lot of challenges culturally and with uh, the leadership skills where, where when you look at IT, the leaders in IT, when they started up, are the people who actually got the job done. Now they've got to lead others to get the job done and make sure that people are, are getting the job done for them. And that's where there's a, a lot of challenges in the industry right now. So when you say that the the leadership outgrows, 
you know, outgrows their own capacity. What do you what do you mean? So, uh, for example, investors in IT companies, what they really shop for is the best talent in the industry. So they bring that talent in. They but get, that's IT talent, not leadership talent. Right. Yes. And they may have owned their own small business and they want their IP, they want what they have to integrate into a new company that they're starting up. So they go out and they get that talent. The best capital investment firms or people out there, angel investors, are are really recruiting the best talent in the industry. And then when that talent starts to, when they start bringing on uh, other people in the company, get to 50 or 100 people, then you start running into a lot of issues. And what are some of those? The issues would be that there's not the leadership acumen. There's not a consistency in the way that people are getting uh, jobs done through others and handling their issues. And so it becomes a situation where here's another little secret about the IT industry. You're managing and leading mostly introverts and introvert millennials. (laughs) So there is a different way of leading introvert millennials than there is, say, 20, 30 years ago uh, when I was leading people uh, in organizations. So it's... uh, I imagine a lot of texting, right? (laughs) It's it's a lot of challenges, and it has just been a blast uh, working with companies in that industry. Mm. And so as as uh, the these companies begin to experience these fast growth and the leadership starts to maybe hit the hit the wall um, of their own leadership abilities, what are your recommendations um, for some of the the issues that they may be encountering uh, as they grow? A big thing is 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 to make sure that you're running an all inclusive uh, culture. So so. Education actually means to draw out and and use techniques and skills that draw out information uh, from your employees, from, from the people that work for you, rather than push information on them. So to get millennials and millennial introverts engaged and to keep everything transparent and above the table so that you have uh, a cohesive unit that's working towards a goal – just make sure that you're using techniques, a lot of open-ended questions during your meetings to get information out and just not letting things slide when nobody has anything to say. Hmm. So what are some of those techniques? You said open-ended questions. Any other great recommendations there? Uh, yeah, I'm working with a, a company now. We've started at the top and now it's we're, we're put together a leadership program that's going down uh, through every employee in their company, and uh, we're at the management level now. So working with the mid-level executives right now, uh, a lot of the techniques are do small teaching moments. So if you want to do a one-to-one feedback session, believe it or not, that's a big problem in business, just being able to deliver an effective one-to-one feedback session. And when you have an introvert giving feedback to an introvert, what you do is you do a teaching moment, a skill, apply a skill or teach a skill, then do some role playing and actually have them act it out. And then when once you've done that and you've you've critiqued that and then you've tried it over again, 
uh, because asking powerful questions is is a, a real skill and it takes time. And then uh, from there, make sure that you're closing up with some actions and some accountability to close the meeting out for the next time. So when you say a teaching moment, usually it, when I hear teachable moment, I was like, oh, man, I made a mistake. <laughs> so now they're going to tell me what I did wrong. Well, the, I'm not exactly talking about the <laughs> I'm not exactly talking about the the feedback session itself, the training for the executives and managers to deliver the feedback. So I use tools such as LCS likes, concerns, suggestions. Here's what I like about what you did. Here's my concerns. And here's a suggestion. And those even even the concern suggestions, concerns and suggestions can be turned around into, into questions. So what would this look like if we tried this? What do you think about this? So always start with something positive and then end with something positive. And and you know I think it's no secret that empathy is a is a big problem in in uh, the executive suite mm-hmm. um, and always has been. Well, one question I have for you about that that and this is maybe just a personal gripe. You know when when people are delivering the feedback and they say something positive and then you know they deliver the feedback and then they say something positive. It's like this is such so disingenuous. <laughs> it's just like oh my god, really? Uh, so how how do you give the feedback or, or even the like the sandwiching, trying to package it in something that feels good? How do you make that um, authentic? Because often for me, it does it does not feel very authentic at all. I really, really like that question because authenticity <laughs> is and being genuine is the biggest part of this whole thing. So first, you have to work on yourself before I even get them to to be able to do this. They have to be a high performing team together, which is why they're role modeling or role playing these things together. They have to be a role model for their team. They they're. The, remember this, the people will always model the behaviors of their leaders. Mm. So if you're genuine, authentic, and have a passion to help others succeed, and that's the reason that you're in the meeting with them, and not to give some kind of discipline uh, how many times you've been late, but to work through what the issue is and what they, what you can do as the leader to help them and try some new things to help them uh, assimilate into the working environment uh, because they have great talent and it costs way more to go out and replace that talent than to try to make that person uh, have a, a great engaged and 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 successful career in your company. Mm. So I really think that it's consistency and you have to do that before you start giving sessions. You have to start peeling back the layers and learning things about people that you don't know and be really interested in people that work for you as as a genuine co-worker, not as a boss. And from there, the feedback sessions, then if you apply some of the skills and techniques that we teach, uh, are very genuine and authentic. And so, uh, Charlie, what is your thought and your um, philosophy on giving giving feedback? You know, when you said that question, I thought, you you did a good job and I'm very proud of you. And then comes, but um, <laughs> you really need to work on this, that, and the other. You know, um, I had to teach my coach how to how to really 
talk to me. This coach? Yes, this coach right here. Yes, okay. this coach right here. And, you know, he's so smart and he, and he got it. If he wanted to get something out of me, he needed to understand how I work and what helps me. So if he were to say, walk into the room and say, what you need to do is such and such and such. And I can't believe you did that. <gasps> but instead, he says, that was a great job you did. Let's see if we can improve that. Now, doesn't that feel better? Doesn't if it it's you, genuine. It's, it, and it is genuine. If because it's genuine. One of the things I like about my coach, Rick Crane, I call him Coach Crane, is that he is genuine. One of the things that I really appreciate about working with him over the years, he has my best interest at heart. And that is huge. So when it comes down to people who work with me, I have their best interest at heart. And not only their best interest, but our culture is family first. When you think about family, your own family, regardless of what situations you have, some of us have very dysfunctional families. But when you think about the love that generates from that, you're thinking about not only the person who's working for you or with you, but you're thinking about their son or daughter or their wife or their husband. So that empathy right there in itself helps you to want to, helps me to want to help them to do better. Mm. And in the actual feedback sessions, what did you, what did you train Coach Crane to do? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. He's sitting right by me, right? I'm, I like he's not in the room. <laughs> how to get the best out of me, how to speak to me so that I can, and how to, when he speaks, when someone speaks to you in a very authoritarian, Authoritarian? Authoritarian voice. Do this, do that. It doesn't feel very good. But if you say to them, you know what would really help if you did this or if you did that? Tone is huge. And Rick is, um, he's very good about figuring out what makes you tick and how to do it. So he learned how to speak to me. And he learned how to help me by understanding how I tick. And that was just, it, it, it changed the game. It changed the game. He has a very good way of helping to bring out the best in people. And I've seen that. He's helped our company to grow tremendously. Mm. I never thought that having a coach would be so, you know, like you're in the game and you have a coach. Well, all games, really sports, they have coaches. Mm -hmm. Some of the best have coaches. And Meeting a business coach was like, okay, I don't know everything. He taught me that I don't know everything, but I taught him how to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so great. This is a, a good opportunity for us to, to turn the conversation to the, the second segment, which is, you know, how, you, how you've worked together and how you've worked together successfully. So um, go ahead, Charlie, and tell, tell us a little bit about, about that. What, what made you decide? It sounded like you maybe weren't so sold on it in the beginning. What made you decide that you wanted to try an executive coach? And yeah, tell, tell me about the moment when you were like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> oh, that's very good. Rick and I were part of a networking group. And that's how I met Rick. And Rick stood up one day and gave his 60 seconds about what he does and how many people he's helped. And so he sat down and one of the people in our networking group stood up and they gave their 60 seconds. And Rick says, oh, he's being modest. He didn't tell you he, you know, he made a million dollars this year. <laughs> and that was because of my help. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily, but Rick has a system and he, talk, he talks about building systems and systems being the foundation of growth. 
And you have to have that great foundation in place in order for what the house to stay up and not fall over and that type thing. But Rick talked about systems. He talked about things that I thought I knew about, but I really didn't know. And the moment I realized that I needed help was when he said, you know, I help you to grow. Not just your business, but you. So as far as the business, yeah, sure, the business. But the business can't grow without the CEO growing or the people in charge growing. So somehow he pulled all of these wonderful things out of me. And I am better for it. I think better. Um, I'm more engaged in not just my growth, but the company growth, the motivational, the, the books that I have to read and the things, not that I have to read, but he suggests things to me. <laughs> he's already made notes about everything I said. I know. He, he's <laughs> going to get you back for it later. I'm, I'm very clear about that. Rick, it's, this is very interesting, you know, as you, as, as you being a coach, uh, looking at the, the growth of, of your clients, what are the areas where you see that, that are in most in need of growth uh, when people come and start working with you? Well, if you think about it in small business, that's before the middle market that you had spoken about before. There's the CEO and there's maybe a couple of other people, maybe five, but usually one to five people. So when you think about leadership, you think about leading across, leading down, and leading up. Mm. So where does a CEO go? They're leading down. There's nothing across and there's nothing up. So I kind of fill those gaps and start through coaching methods, teaching what it means to lead across, lead up, as well as lead down. And from that, uh, the leaders start growing into a vision for themselves that is much larger than maybe what they started out with. Is that Was that true for you, Charlie? Oh, yes, most definitely. As a matter of fact, this past year, at the end of the year, you know, most people at the beginning of the year have these uh, New Year's resolutions. But at the end of last year, we did our goals for this year. The One of the things that I really learned when we were doing our goals from Rick is that when you set a goal, the goal of the goal is why. Keep asking yourself why. And then when you come up with another question, ask yourself why until you get to the point to what it is that you're really trying to accomplish. So say, for example, I'm setting a goal to um, do more motivational reading and to help myself as a individual to be more open uh, to the universe or whatever. So that's going to take me doing some reading, maybe some meditating. So the next question is why? Why do that? So I'm doing that because I want to not just better myself, but understand other people. Why? So by the time you get to the last why, and this is Rick's teaching here, I was able to see that my purpose was a lot bigger than I thought. So going through the whys of why that goal helped me to understand that that was my pur- I feel like that's my purpose here in this world. So why do you want to learn more about motivating others and motivating yourself, bettering your situation. It helped me to understand my purpose here in this world. Mm-hmm. So that goals and then the why, why, why. I think he asked like five whys. By the time I got to the last why, at first I was like, why? What do you think why? What do you think why? But <laughs> with Coach Crane, he has a way about himself that, um, you know, I'm a very independent, aggressive, alpha type person, a person, personality. 
But he helps me to see that I don't have to be that way all times because everybody can't tolerate that. Oh, boy, I know. (laughs) I know. So Rick, actually, Coach Crane, he has a way with, not just a way with me, but his instructions and his coaching mechanisms for businesses. I know he's been around for a moment, so he's seen a lot of things. I've seen him help a lot of people, Mm. especially me, especially me. You know, one question I have listening to to you describe your relationship, Charlie, and mm-hmm. I'm going to actually give this question to both of you. It seems like you, there's been a lot of trust that's developed mm-hmm. in your relationship with Coach Crane. And tell us a little bit about how that trust developed and, you know, your thoughts on developing trust with the people that you work with in general. That's an awesome question. Thank you so much for asking. Because I think, uh, for me, it was difficult to trust someone that really didn't look like me. And I've always had my stereotypical ideas about. I go back to something I said earlier. I could see that this person had my best interest at heart. It wasn't just about making a dollar or succeeding or being successful. It was about me. And a lot of the times, I think we as individuals think, well, it's so about me, but it isn't. But he actually helped me to feel like I was the most important person in the world whenever he sat down with me and helping me to help myself and to help other people. So it wasn't easy to trust someone I didn't know first. And sure, he had all the credentials and, you know, business coaching and this, that, and the other over the years. But I think trust comes from building that relationship. And it didn't take long for him to make me feel comfortable about telling him and, and understanding where I was at because no one wants anyone to know that where they really at. You know, I don't know anything. I don't want you to know that I don't know that you don't know that I don't know. But <laughs> it was so, it was, it was mind blowing when I, when I realized that that trust, he had that, my best interest at heart. He knew exactly what to do with someone like me. Mm. You, Rick, like what, what is your, your thought on how to develop trust with your clients? Because it's, it's foundational to the work that you do. Well, first of all, it's, it's a humbling uh, experience to have clients like Charlie because uh, that's what you do this for. It's for uh, moments like this when you get those aha or breakthrough moments uh, with your clients. And uh, that far outweighs uh, any financial gain that 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 happens as a result of that. Uh, so uh, I thank you, Charlie, for those kind words, and I'm totally humbled by, by what she says. Um, however, uh, going back to uh, your question, uh, the trust pretty much starts in the beginning. When, when I sit down with a person, I'm interviewing you as much as you're deciding whether I'm the right person for you. So I only work with high potentials for success. Uh, that's, that's my goal, my motto going in, and it doesn't matter what if the person uh, does not, cannot afford the fees that I chart. It's more about the desire and passion they have to grow their business and grow themselves than it is about the money, because the reason for that is I know 
what's going to happen as a result if that person is the right fit for me and I'm the right fit for that person. It's going to happen. If they're not, then a different situation could occur. And that situation is not something that, that I want to, you know, carry on my shoulders as, as part of my reputation of having a failure. So we have a lot of failures as, as we're moving forward together. It's more important to be the right fit and to trust each other and to be, so when I ask questions, I just don't want to know about your business. I want to know about your fears, goals, dreams, desires, ambitions, uh, what motivates you. So I'm going a little deeper than that. And as I work with larger companies, I use a suite of psychometric profile assessments and, and that helps me get more inside before we even start working together. So, so I'm very um, in tune with the person rather than the business. Hmm. And uh, I bet every CEO would love to say that they only hire and work with high potentials for success. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, can you go into a little bit more detail on how you assess and determine who's a high potential? Because, I mean, uh, every y'all want that, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes you, we have to meet people where they are rather than where we want them to be. So meeting Charlie where, where she was is different than meeting somebody else and where they are. And so we have to get established that common ground, mutual purpose. And from there, that vision starts to expand or, or I start learning more about that person before we even talk about getting into a relationship together, a business relationship together and moving forward. So it could take a couple of meetings. And, um, and from there, we might even work on an issue together. Uh, so I believe in the console consultative approach where, where let's work on something that you've got going right now. And let's go through some coaching on that, on that particular issue. And, and let's get to know each other that way. So, so I do a lot of pre-sales or upfront work to ensure that that we can gain the trust. So the tip is, whenever you go into business with someone, build into your sales plan, build into your plan of getting early wins with that client, that builds trust. So I can quickly look at opportunities where we can get some early wins and that will build the trust uh, to establish a more long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. Great. What about you, Charlie? What's your uh, approach to finding and identifying uh, high potentials? I have this third eye. <laughs> I think it's something about meeting people that is um, is huge. You can almost feel the energy of, of what you want. And if it's comfortable, you know. Um, but for me, I have to really, um, I ask a group of questions and I'm pretty observant. I ask questions that aren't questions that would be an answer that you would give me, but there's a reason why I ask that questions and only I know that question. Uh, a question could be, for example, where are you from? You hear that a lot, right? So where are you from? Um, you hear from Boston. I'm from Jamaica or I'm from New York. You know, one of those. And depending on the person's facial expression or how they answer the question, you can tell that they're proud of where they're from. 
So that says a lot about their family, says a lot about their childhood. And so <laughs> you never think of it that way, right? Just thinking, you know, where are you from? Oh, I'm from the yak. <laughs> and depends on how they answer a simple question like that helps determine what's going to be happening with us. I know that's crazy. That's fascinating. <laughs> I got to be careful, you know? You asked me how my day was, and it's like, Jesus, she can tell my whole life story by how I answer. <laughs> so I really try, especially with young people and what we are doing in our company. In technology, a lot of people want to learn how to build an app or they want an app. Everybody has a great app idea. Okay, app ideas. What do we do with those? Those are awesome. Because some ideas have been the best ideas. Look at some of the ones out here now. Uber. Mm -hmm. Poor taxi cab drivers. (laughs) (laughs) And so we don't just ignore ideas. We actually help to bring that idea out of you. So we are training young people or veterans and their spouses how to develop mobile technology. Mm. You don't necessarily have to learn a lot, know a lot about coding. What we call and what we use is a platform that helps us with low coding. We need you to have some type of business logic or at least some technology under your belt. And we can help you do the rest. We take you through an assessment and then give you an exam. Depending on how well you do in the exam, we'll determine if we can help you to move forward and to do more. And one of the things that we're doing is in underutilized business zones. They're called the hub zone. We're going in and looking for individuals who really want to change their lives and learn a little bit more about tech. Because once you learn how to do a little coding or programming, it can take you all the way up to artificial intelligence. Because think about it. What is a robot? A bunch of code. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so that's one of the things that we're doing to help our company to grow, but also help get back to the community. Great. So tell me about the best business advice that Rick has given you ever. Mm, you might want to come back to me on that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> the best business advice Rick has ever given me that, you know, I've heard this before, but, you know, when I thought about it, fail and fail fast that doesn't work, hey, we're going to go and do something else. Mm -hmm. But never give up. Even if you fail, fail fast, but don't give up. You have everything inside of you you need to be successful. He has a whole list of books on his iPad that I don't even want to know what he's reading today. (laughs) But he is so cool about, wow, he's really a cool dude. And I can't believe that I'm just sitting here thinking about the things that he's told me. Fail, fail fast. You can do anything you want. It's almost like your parent telling you when yeah. you're a child, you can do this. And I don't know. It's something about, I believe him. And That's good. I believe him. Well, it's true. Right? Mm-hmm. You can't do anything. Yes, true. And, and Rick, what's the best business advice that you've ever received? And Rick has a coach, too. Oh, yes. so you, you have to eat your own dog food. That's right. <laughs> I've had a coach for about nine years now. The same person? Same person. Wow. She's in New York. Hi, Gail. <laughs> so, so uh, you know. that's nice. That's very that's very you know integrous. You believe in your own yeah. stuff. Believe it or not, when I was about six months into coaching, after I came out of the corporate world, got certifications, and and I was starting up companies for the company that I work for. I was going to different places in the in the nation to to start up from the ground up and grow companies and and branches and when i got into coaching which which i tested into that would be the best thing that i would be the happiest at and when i left and started doing that uh i was 6 months into doing that 
still haven't had a client. I was just building my network, building relationships. I thought, who wouldn't want to work with me? Big corporate, you know, big wig. And I know everything, you know. So you've got to feel the pain of a small business owner before you are welcomed into that community. Oh, yeah, I get it. Okay. I'm, so, I'm not interested in theory. So I have felt the pain. Okay. So <clears throat> I said, well, I'm going to make or break this. And I flew out to one of the best coaches in the world, scheduled a lunch appointment, and he didn't charge me. And he said, just buy my lunch. And we had a session right there for about an hour and a half. And one of the things that is the best advice I ever got is, Whatever you're weak at, become the guru. Whatever your biggest weakness, which, of course, with me, if I hadn't had a client in six months, it's sales, right? <laughs> so become the guru of sales. And he made some suggestions. He Actually, it was a list of 11 things that he made me. He said, okay, at the end, I want you to tell me the 11 things that you've learned here today, which is also my <laughs> way of of doing things too. And then which two or three are you going to implement when you go back? And here's the other biggest advice, which is a lot of what Charlie's saying. This is the second piece. If you let this get to your identity, you're cooked. Mm. People, Whatever this is. Yeah. People know? will know. People will feel the energy and they'll know that, you know, you're, you're desperate. So if you let this affect your identity, who you are, what you say to yourself when you're by yourself, if you let that, if you let this affect that, then you're cooked. You, you won't have a future at what you're doing. So those are the two biggest things that I told him I was going to go back and implement. And in the second six months, I had six clients, which is Pretty, uh, pretty good. If, if a coach brings on six clients in six months, that's a A-team coach, okay? Yeah. And from then on, once you have a couple success stories, then that's what multiplies the business. It's all about the referrals. Great. So, you know, in our last question, um, which I think is really great, and I'm going to actually uh, toss it over to both of you. I think it's really important. You just said something that I, that is really big um, about not letting events, whatever they are, get to your identity. But that's easier said than done, right? When something, uh, even something good, right, can get to your identity and all of a sudden you get big-headed or I get big-headed. I don't know about you. <laughs> but <laughs> um, how do you do that? I mean, in practice, how, how does one keep events? You know, how do you stay unswayed by success or failure, you know? So I really like... Using quadrants, you know, the four quadrants and you draw this in the middle and you've got four quadrants. And in those four quadrants, it's win-win, win-lose, lose-win, and lose-lose. So you could pretty much put yourself in one of those quadrants as to the type of identity or the way that you are wired when you have interactions with people. So we want to create win-win situations, right? We want what we want, and we want other people to get what they want. And from there, you're building great relationships and great, you know, business transactions. 
uh, and everybody feels like they got a value exchange for the paper that they put on the table. A lot of times working with business leaders, we're working in more passive aggressive or even aggressive mode. And that is affecting the relationships, people around us. It's even affecting our own personal lives and relationships in our lives. So uh, there's there's uh, teaching and, and learning moments around all four of those quadrants because I want you to understand what the outcome is in every single one. So then we look to stay in the, your identity is stay in the win-win situation. And we're all going to go below the line because sometimes we have had enough of a situation. And then we know if it's not a win-win situation, get out of that situation and get into it, get people around you that are like you, that, that can pull you up. And a lot of times you'll see CEOs hire people that they have to continuously pull up. Well, we did the opposite in Charlie's business, and we brought somebody in that's actually pulling all of us up. And as a result, the pipeline is tremendous and about to explode. Uh, so that keep good people in your life, and you'll keep your identity in a straight, you know, in a really good um, upward and, and and productive and meaningful um to society and to yourself and to the people around you. And so, you know, we slip below that line and it's knowing that we're below it and coming back out of it quickly. Mm -hmm. mm, thank you. Charlie, what, what are your thoughts uh, uh, on making sure that um, events don't get to your identity? You know, I love that question. I was really listening to Rick. I've learned to listen. <laughs> Not saying I didn't always, but I've learned to listen. <laughs> You know, I meditate. I just be still. I can't hum and do the ching chong and all of that. <laughs> but when I find that things are getting in my way and I don't have that inner peace, I sit and I be still. Listen to something motivational. Um, go help somebody. Help somebody else. Not just give a bum on the street a, a dollar or a dime when we go get a whatever. But to help someone, especially young people, or to just take a moment and just be still. I try to do it 20 minutes in the morning or 20 minutes in the evening and just be still. My mind is going rapidly crazy with all kind of thoughts I haven't thought about in years. Uh, but I guess that's just the mind's way of saying, yo, I'm here. What's up? Uh, you're not thinking right now. You're trying to be still. No way. But that brings about an inner peace that helps me to... Wow, it help, it, it, it's amazing what it does. The confidence, the ability to let go of things that really aren't important, and something motivational. I'm always trying to keep that great energy of the universe around me, and it has made me a better person, seriously. And I guess something that simple. Well, yeah. well thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, let's close the show by finding out what's new in uh, your business, Charlie, that you think CEOs would love to know about. What's new in my business that CEOs would know about? You know, Rick mentioned the pipeline. Um, and we brought, we, brid, we did bring on someone uh, that helped with business development. Mm -hmm. And business development is huge. We have a sales culture now. Before it was build, grow, build, we were more into a sales culture. Because when you have sales, 
You can give people jobs. People can go to work. We can, we can hire more developers to do the jobs that they need to do. So sales culture is Great. huge. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for a wonderful show. Uh, Charlie, if people want to get in touch with you to find out more about anything they've heard today, how can they do that? Oh, wonderful. Whitty, W-H-I-T-T-Y, A-P-P-S dot com is our website. Or you can send us an email at info at com. Try calling us at 404-937-4058. Thank you. And Rick? Uh, thank you. Uh, you can reach me, Rick Crane, at Breakthrough Business Solutions. Rick.Crane, that's C-R-A-I-N, at FastBTS.com, FastBTS.com, and uh, our direct line is 404-217-9924. Thank you, everybody, for a great show. Excellent. Thank you so much for having us. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.